history that people do the impossible, right? They they do what everyone else says can't be done. And so I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head. If I had to listen to everyone, my daughter would be a vegetable right now, all these years later. So, uh, you know, just doing so, even imperfect action, We, you know, if if you're in the self-development space, you'll hear that all the time, you know, imperfect action, imperfect action. Last chapter of my book, actually. <laughs> it's, it's so true, though. It's so true. Just move do something right yeah. uh, in the army that that's, you know, we would say, you know, move or die, right? Like you have to move. You have sure. to, you have to improve your position. Welcome back, everybody, to the Redemption Road podcast. I'm your host, Doc John. Here on Redemption Road, we are interviewing high performers to hear about their life hacks for overcoming the worst of odds, the worst of pitfalls in life, so that they can help everyone and uh, help all of you out there going forward and show you that anything in life is possible. Today's guest, he's a retired sniper and combat applications instructor has unique had the unique opportunity to teach and train every branch of the military. We're talking FBI, U.S. Marshals, DEA, SWAT teams from various areas. Upon retiring, this gentleman began riding motorcycles and unfortunately was hit on two separate occasions by reckless drivers. And not only did he have injuries from the military, but now five additional surgeries and, uh, and actually needs more. Uh, additionally, he had to learn how to walk again on two separate occasions. On top of all his injuries, he's had to juggle having a daughter who had a stroke at five years of age and two children with autism. Chaz's reality was daunting at best, but he and his wife have found a way to overcome every situation that life has thrown their way. After his most recent accident, Chad realized his calling was to use his hardships, life lessons, and experiences to assist others in becoming the best version of themselves. Today, he speaks and mentors in pursuit of uncovering the legend in 100 million people worldwide. It is my pleasure to introduce Chad Osinga. Chad, welcome, my brother. Oh, man, I am so excited to be here. It's an honor, man. Oh, super excited to have you here. I've been looking forward to this all week. And uh, let's help some people today and uh, delve in. So, yeah. of course, uh, you know, everybody who's gotten to where they are now or to a place in life where you have now, hasn't done it without uh, having some struggles and uh, to overcome a lot. And as you just heard in the intro that you've, you've been able to overcome a lot. So talk a little more about what your experiences were. I mean, you've had a lot to come back from between injuries and challenges with your children. And um, so I'll let you begin wherever you like in, in terms of telling us a little more about those struggles and strategies and talk to us about the mindset that you had going through those and, uh, how you overcame that that mindset to uh, get where you are today. Yeah, you know, I think, well, I'll start from my childhood because I, I think that a lot of us have a, stuff that happens to us growing up that really sets the tone in the way we think and we the way we process and the decisions that we make. And I was no yeah. different, right? Uh, my mom was a drug addict. She was addicted to crack cocaine. Long story short, she was not there for me, and I had a learning disability. I I just couldn't catch what people were throwing, right? It, it was, you know, and but I wasn't getting any help with it, and I was getting picked on every day, and then I would come home to a mother who was just absent. She might be there, but she was absent. And finally, around age 14, our house gets raided. She had allowed all these drug dealers to live in our home, so they're sitting there basically turned our home into a crack hat or a crack house. And, you know, so my house gets raided. All these people are going to prison. My my mom goes to prison. I get sent to Oklahoma with some family. They end up abusing me for 18 months. So by the time I'm 16, I don't feel worthy of anything. Like, I don't think that there's a future. I don't think that I deserve anything more than what I've seen. And I don't expect anything more than that. So I began to make decisions. You had the deck very much stacked against you there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, you know, it's, it's kind of what led me in into the arms of the the military, to be honest, is I didn't join the army because, you know, I wanted to go save the world or, you know, you hear some guys and their stories, like I've always wanted to do this and, 
I played Army like any other kid, but that wasn't really – it was like my only option. It was my only option to have something better than what I was accustomed to. And at that point, I had a, a wife and I had two kids. So, you know, and I'll backtrack just a, a, a tidbit. But, you know, growing up, I didn't I didn't think that I could have more. And I meet this girl who becomes my wife and she changed my entire way of looking at life. She gave me something to live for because for the first time, someone believed in me. Someone saw something in me that I didn't see in myself, you know. And so we ended up having two kids. And after my second child, I just realized they're going to grow up in the same poverty I did if I don't change right. something. But I didn't, I didn't graduate from school because everyone called me dumb. So I, I quit school at ninth grade. I didn't have any skill sets, you know, that some people get. I just didn't have anything. So the Army, they paid for my GED and they were like, hey, we'll, we'll take you, man. We don't care. You can you can catch bullets for us anytime. Right. And so uh, that's kind of how I got into the military. I, I think it's remarkable that, you know, so oftentimes when people grow up with with the difficult odds against them, like you're describing here, that oftentimes what people grow up with, they become. And I, I think it's amazing that you were able to go the opposite direction and, you know, say, you know what, I've, I see this, I know this is what I do not want and I'm going to do everything to make sure this doesn't happen. And, you know, then you have somebody wonderful like your wife that comes into your life and shows you that there's hope, show you, shows you there's something really great to live for and gives you that motivation and you have two children. And so, you know, all of a sudden you've got something that's in, in front of you and, you know, there's no better motivation than your wife and your kids and uh, I, I think it's remarkable for you to be able to, you know, to turn the uh, turn the tide starting there. Yeah. You know, the, that was where things started changing, you know, and I didn't make great decisions. I, I you know, before I met my wife, I, I reverted back to everything that I saw, which was violence and drugs. And she was, like you just said, the motivator. Right. And I finally get in the army and, I, you know, the army was a big transition. I had never had. Uh, a lot of discipline that the running and that type stuff was fine with me. I, I could go with the, the hardship that they gave you outside of someone yelling at you. Right. But eventually I, I adjusted and, you know, like I said, like you said, in the thing, I, I ended up becoming a sniper and then uh combat instructor and the world was, I had finally kind of found my calling uh, so to speak. Like I had felt, like I had a, a purpose, you know, and then my daughter, we were stationed in Germany and I was actually about to deploy to Afghanistan. And my daughter, uh, who was five at the time, has a stroke. And it was like that period of time was was rough. One, my wife and I weren't in the best space. Right. We, we you know, like any young marriage, you go through your ebbs and your flows. Sure. A lot we of growing pains. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so, and, and then you're in the military. So there, that brings its own challenges uh, with being gone a lot. And so yeah, your life we isn't all your own. Right. And, and now we have this, right. Just out of nowhere. And they misdiagnosed her at the first hospital. So finally a neurologist comes in and is like, she had a stroke. Her brain is swollen. If we don't have emergency surgery, she's going to die, man. So they medevac her to a different hospital that could do the surgery in Hamburg, Germany. And they save her life. But then they tell us she'll never walk, talk, or eat on her own again. And that's where, you know, we kind of lost it. We, Me and my wife had held it together pretty, pretty good up until that point. But when the doctor told, because we were, she had just got out of surgery. And we were walking to her ICU room and he just stops us before we can walk in and see our daughter and just drops that bomb on us. And we're like, well, what do you mean? Right. And um, she was my wife was 38 weeks pregnant uh, when all this was happening too to make it even stickier. Yeah. So it, a lot was going on. They finally say, hey, you know, your daughter needs to go to America. And we're like, cool, man, like whatever we need to do. But there's a problem or like another one, really. And so they they drop the next, you know, bomb on us. And that's your kid can't fly because he was just born in a foreign country. You need a passport. You need paperwork that takes oh. time. 
So they separated us. My wife and my newborn had to stay in Germany. My oldest son, my daughter, and myself are boarded onto a medevac flight, and we go to Walter Reed when it was still in Washington, D.C. And, um, you know, they said the same thing there. Your daughter is not going to walk, talk, and eat on your own. I just remember getting really upset, man. Like, I I got furious because my whole life I've kind of had to fight to make things work, you know, and these people that are getting paid a lot of money and have a lot of education aren't even trying. They're not, they're not trying to, you know, say, Hey, we we can do X, Y, and Z, no solutions, right? Just, Hey, this is going to be her future. So you're saying proms are gone. You know, marriage is gone. Grandkids are out the picture, like every everything that that we none of the normal future that everybody dreams of. Right. Just done. Gone. Right. That's that's what you're telling us. And so I started working with my daughter on my own. We were stuck in a, a ward where we couldn't leave. And so I began to work with her just day in and day out, made her walk through stuffed animals against the the wall to build up leg strength. And finally, she took her first steps and. Then I finally got her to talk. I got her to, you know, be able to take a spoon and bring it to her mouth. And I did all that she'd never do all these things that she, that they said that she would never do, man. And it, you know, it was funny because a lot of them as a therapist, (laughs) right? I I know, right. Speech therapy. (laughs) Right. I should have. Right. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, man, like uh, we did it right there in that small little room. And it's funny because it, Every time we would accomplish something new, the doctors, a lot, not all, but a lot of the doctors would come in with negativity, like, well, she'll never be able to do X, Y, and Z. Well, she'll still need therapy for the rest of her life, or she'll never talk right. They just, they had to make their their verdict stand, you know? Um, and so we just continued to move and continue to 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 do the impossible really and it it just goes to show you that when you're when you're doing things that others think are impossible they're gonna talk they did about you know the Wright brothers um and, and a lot of other people that do amazing things they're just scared because they can't do it on their own right and and that's what I realized uh when when you start doing the impossible and and making those things possible and that's what we did with our daughter man and how, how old is she now Chad she is 18. She works uh, for uh, like on her own with with kids. So uh, she she still has uh, the left side, because if you know anything about a stroke, if the hemiplegia. Yeah, and it is reversed. So the stroke attacked her right side, but her left side is affected. So her arm, her left arm, we still don't have anything, but uh, she uses both her legs. Uh, she can do more with one arm than most can do you know, with two. So, uh, we, we, we are very proud of her, you know, because she had a a will, man, a will to fight and yeah. Leading a productive life now. Yeah. Yeah. She's doing really, she wants to be a dog trainer. She trains dogs, uh, she self-taught how to train, uh, service dogs. And so we have now five dogs, uh, and she's training them all. And, you know, so it's it's a good experience, and and I'm really proud of her because she's doing so much that everyone said that she wouldn't do, and uh, so yeah, I take a lot of pride in it. Yeah, I, and I I think that for those of you listening, I mean, this is really important to to take uh, take note of this because so often everybody's going to tell you what you can't do, and they're going to tell you that you're crazy, they're going to tell you that you're unrealistic, they're going to tell you that uh, it's not doable, but you have to make up your mind that you're you're not going to listen. I mean, everybody who's been you know extremely successful in this world, they've been told that, and they just refuse not to listen and kept trying anyway. And you know, hearing Chad what you what you did with your daughter, and you know, you refusing refusing to listen to the doctors who you know a lot of the doctors they I, I think they feel compelled to tell you the worst case scenario, and you know, because they're trying to CYA. And they don't want to give you any kind of false expectations. I mean, when my son was premature, it's the same kind of thing. You know, they come into the room, they're like, oh, he's got 42% chance of survival, born at 25 weeks. He's got 25% chance of uh, surviving with no major disabilities. And, you know, you you hear that kind of thing. And it's, you know, it sounds like a borderline death sentence. And you're like, fuck. And, um, you know, but you just, you know, sometimes you just have to have your own idea. And, you know, no one can take your hope away from you. 
And um, you just, you know, as long as there's still time in the game, you just have to keep going and as though you can win the game and you can still win the game. And you did win the game. Yeah. I mean, it's proven in history that people do the impossible, right? They they do what everyone else says can't be done. And so I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head. If I had to listen to everyone, my daughter would be a vegetable right now, all these years later. So, uh, you know, just doing so, even imperfect action, We, you know, if, if you're in the self-development space, you'll hear that all the time, you know, imperfect action, imperfect action. Last chapter of my book, actually. <laughs> it's, it's so true, though. It's so true. Just move. Do something right yeah. uh, in the army. That that's you know we would say you know move or die, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have to move. You have sure. to you have to improve your position somehow, right. some way. Even if it's not a castle, right? Improve it, right? Do something right. with it. And you have uh, to be moving. You have to be doing things to get better. Otherwise, you're getting worse because the rest of the world's still turning around you. Everybody else is still moving and improving. So. Yeah, if you stay still, you're you're not staying the same. You're getting worse, right? Know, relative to the rest of the the world. So yeah, I think what, what do they say? If uh, if if you're not creating or not growing, you're dying, right? So yep. you know you want to be in that constant state of movement and growth and creation. Even if you're that's that's why I love one percent better, right? Just one percent better a day. Just make small tweaks, small improvements. It doesn't have to be you know, humongous things with my daughter. It started with very small, small things. When I got hit and, you know, I had to learn how to walk again, you know, it was just small things. And you just focus on doing those small things over and over and over again. And it builds confidence to the next hard thing. Uh, You you know, uh, you start doing those things that everyone says you couldn't do, or you had like, you were saying with, with with your child, like, you know, 40% chance of not surviving. And you start seeing that the eye, you can, you can kind of wiggle the odds, right? And mm-hmm. as the odds improve, it really gives you more confidence, more energy to just do something amazing, right? 100%. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that that's with, with my, you know, we had all that going on. Then, like I said, I had these two younger kids that come in the process both have autism and at one point like how old are each of them now chad so uh one is 11 one is 10 okay and uh my 11 year old he was nonverbal for seven years and that was another one of those impossible feats that both of them were on different ends of the spectrum he was he was doing everything age appropriately And then right before his first birthday, everything just goes away. He was starting to say mom and dad, and then just nothing, like completely mute. And we we were just lost. We didn't know what was going on. You know, we had gotten a little more experience on special needs with our daughter, but not autism, right? And so we we didn't really understand what was going on. And they're, like I said, about a year and some change apart. And then his brother, uh, who was just born, he was having these fits, these outbursts that would last four hours, sometimes three hours, and nothing calmed him down. It was, I mean, he's our fourth child, so we have a little experience on kids, you know, and I've never seen a child that couldn't be calmed down for that long, right? And nothing worked. So we get them both tested, and they both have autism, make a long story short. And they're both on different ends. And at one point, we have three kids in therapy at the same time. We have my daughter who's going and she's in speech, occupational and physical therapy. And then we have our our youngest two that are in occupational therapy and speech therapies. Uh, How did you you and your wife keep yourselves together in the midst of all that? I mean, that's that's a level of stress I can't even fathom. I mean, having one child who's had some special needs like at times has, you know, has felt like it's, you know, the limit of what I could take. I mean, having going through that with three children all at once. I mean, talk to me about what goes through your mind and, you know, just keeping yourself afloat at that point. You, you, it's easy to lose your shit. And I'm not going to say that we didn't a few times along the way that would be, you know, just not accurate. We had our moments where we were overwhelmed. Right. And just like, Oh my God, man. Like we don't know. Right. But we, 
and we kind of learned this with our daughter. We tried to focus on the moment. And you what's done is done. Can't change it. There, there, a lot of a lot of a lot of times, like in the beginning, we would be like, why did this happen? Why did this happen? It doesn't matter why it happened. This is the facts, right? She had a stroke and it doesn't matter. It is what it is regardless. It is. And so if I don't, if I don't hone in on what I can do right now, okay, then we're going to miss opportunities. Right. And people want to be angry about something or at something or someone or something at the time. And we lose sight of that, of what's important because we're too busy wanting to be angry at that something or someone where we forget that it's like, okay, it doesn't matter. It's still our responsibility to fix this right. to address it, and to do the best we can with it. And, and that's, that's on us, regardless of whether it's our fault or not. Yeah. And, you know, in this situation, that's, you know, that, that's, that's what you guys had to do. You had to focus on, you know, whether what caused it. Yeah. I mean, you know, you might, you might give you some answer, but it's not really going to make the problem better. Only, only your actions can. Right. And, and that, flowed into our relationship as well like we would take miniature dates in the hospital they had like a little starbucks so we would wait in line and we would talk and and just we would try to visualize what our tomorrow could look like right like paint a better picture for for our reality and we would dream a little bit we would walk around the atrium and drink our little foo-foo coffees and you know, it, it was good. It was our slice of, of heaven outside of the chaos. And we would usually do that when she was in with specialists that we couldn't go in and we would just slip away and take those moments. Right. But it's still yeah, in that. the moment. Right. It's in the moment where we're we're not. It doesn't have to be perfect. No candles have to be lit. Just me and you. Amongst all this craziness, we're going to spend some time. Right. And you're going to be present with each other. And that's that's all that yeah. matters. And. And if you can do that and you're with the right person, then the uh, the surroundings yeah. matter less and less. Yeah. And, and that's what we did. And all of it kind of fueled the, the other thing. Right. And so it, it recharged our batteries, which helped us keep our daughter motivated and, and going. And so it, it all just helped. It kind of helped the other thing be good, you know. And so that's that honestly is, is my biggest takeaway from what we did because we get a lot of that and that was it we focused on the moment um we've had to do a lot of that but so we have a little practice in it now but uh you you just learn to to stop stepping back into the past and a lot of times in the future too yeah. right uh, uh you can get caught like we would dream a little bit but then you got to come right back to this is where we're at it's like visualization or yeah. anything else you visualize what you want then you got to let it go all right yeah. you let it go we're here because nothing if you want change it happens right now and right. whatever your dream is it's going to happen right now anyway right it's always right now T tomorrow in the future it's all it's all kind of a lie in the in the grand scheme of things all we have is right now right and yeah so, that's, that's exactly that's exactly true you took the words right out of my mouth because you know that's what, what you have right now that's the only moment in time that actually exists yeah you know what happened in the past that doesn't exist anymore it's gone yeah and what happens in the future doesn't exist yet and it may never exist exactly and exactly. And, and that's the thing i i tell so many of my clients and patients that you know people get too caught up in the past, you end up depressed. People too caught up in the future, they get anxious. Yeah, right. and so you, you yeah. know, you're too worried, you're preoccupied about what may happen, and you can go down a rabbit hole that way. And so, yeah, either way, I mean, there's certain moments of time that don't exist, and all they do is cause distress for you. So you have to keep your focus on the here and now because that's that's what you can control, and that's what you have to be present with. And I think if if more people follow that, they're going to be a lot better off. Yeah, you start making accurate decisions right now, right? Um, and then you get in the habit of being able to make good decisions, which ultimately creates a better tomorrow or a better next moment for you, right? If we have to, you know, because I, I talk to a lot of people and they're, they, it's hard for people to separate their tomorrow and, from from right now. And, you know, I get it because it in the beginning, it was hard for me too. I didn't understand what do you mean? yesterday doesn't matter or it doesn't doesn't exist it definitely it feels like it exists right uh but you know sometimes we we get wrapped up in in those things because our identity 
is is wrapped up in that, right? And so there's an identity issue That's more a great than point. Yeah, talk more talk, more, talk more about that because I, I I you're hitting on something very important that everybody needs to hear. Talk talk more about it being an identity issue. So okay, I'll just take it from my own life. Uh, when I was growing up, I was around a lot of drug dealers, a lot of violence, a lot of of decision making, and a lot of pain. Right, and so I identified greatly with that. Even after all of that was done and gone, and I moved on with my life. I still tapped into that like it was still my identity. I identified with with being in why well, yeah, I'm a I'm a drug dealer or I'm an ex-drug dealer. Or I'm, you know, uh I, well I can only do it like this, right? And I can only make this amount of money or I only have certain opportunities and it's all because I identify with this past self, mm-hmm. right? That sure. person no longer exists. It, it's gone, right? And Technically, it's not an emotion, right? We we say, oh, those are my emotions. No, that's feeling uh, attached to whatever happened is not an emotion, right? Happiness is, fear is, right? But not necessarily, uh, well, I don't feel like I can make more money. That's not a real feeling. No, you don't think. That, that's core beliefs. Right. Yeah, you don't think you can you can have enough money. So we get these things confused. And I was very confused. I really believed that I was that person and it stopped me from having a lot of things in the right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I made a lot of bad decisions because I was still living in the past and I allowed these these things I identified with to influence my decision making, uh, how I saw the world. Like you said, it's a belief thing, right? Yeah, uh, yeah it's I, our core beliefs about ourselves, about the world, and about the future. It's that negative cognitive triad they talk about, you know, with those three things, self, world, and future, negative beliefs in all three of those areas, you know, and those are the, those core beliefs. Those are the underlying themes that we have, you know, that, that develop over time. And, you know, it's based upon our experiences, having negative experiences. Sometimes, unfortunately, it's, you know, it's experiences that, well-meaning people even put in our minds, even well-meaning parents or teachers you know, that are trying to keep us from disappointment or keep us from being, you know, u- upset when things don't go on our way. They they put those limits on us. And so we end up with those limiting core beliefs. And so it can happen in a variety of different ways. But, yeah, that it, it, it becomes, you know, like you said, uh, an identity issue because it becomes part of our identity and we start letting that color everything we do. And and, and I'll, I'll even I'll give a, a short example of how powerful this identity is. So when I went through sniper school, it was one of the hardest schools I had ever been in. And I never I thought I was dumb. I was told I was dumb from teachers, from everybody growing up. So this identity of of thought I, thinking I was dumb was very much attached to who I was, right? And whenever I found myself in a situation where I had to learn new things, that thought of I can't do this because I'm dumb, right? Because of this thing that happened when I was in first grade or third grade, right? That long ago, okay, is now following me when I'm in my 20s, right? And I'm trying to go through something completely different. And I've had success in the military up to this point, And yet I still stand here in in this course feeling like I'm not good enough, like I can't do it, all because of something that happened to me all these years ago. And that's the well, power of identifying with that thing. And uh, yeah. that's that's something that people and it's gosh, that's such a great point, because it's something I've been trying to really, you know, get across to so many people is. You know, what, you know, whatever you've been through, you know, whether it's a trauma or you know, a mistake that you made or something that didn't go right in the past. But so many people, you know, whether you look at yourself as a victim or a survivor, it doesn't matter. But so many people just over identify with that and they let that color their perception that they let to be everything who, that they are. And you're, yeah. whatever happened. OK, yeah. Yeah. Maybe it didn't turn out well. Maybe it's your fault. Maybe it wasn't. But it was so long ago and you were so much more than that. And you've done all this great body of work since then. You know, so why are you, why why are we going to let something that happened when we're in first grade color our perception of ourselves and let anybody else color their perception of us? It's you know, you look at someone famous, uh, let's say Elon Musk, right? He's done a lot of amazing things, like with with SpaceX and stuff like that, right? Now, if you want to, I think the the cool thing about a lot of successful people is they don't identify. You said something really important, like okay, I'm a survivor. 
Well, then what? Right. What's next? Right. Okay. These guys that you see that are super successful, they're finding the next thing, right? They don't identify, okay, I did this, I accomplished it. What's next? What's my next goal? What's my next? Because we're goal oriented creatures, right? Period. So yeah. it's like what Goggins says there's no finish lines, and, right? Until you die. And, and I think we always have to have something that we're pursuing. And the people that don't have something else to pursue, those are the people that get stuck. Those are the people that get depressed. I mean, gosh, even when I'd, I'd finish an Ironman, you know, when I was doing in my triathlon days and, you know, the, that high of finishing the Ironman would last for about a week. And then by the end, the end of that first week and you know, I started to get the blues, I'm like, okay, well, what's next? You know, what, what's my next purpose? And, I, you know, we always have to have a purpose. We always have to have, as Lewis yeah. House calls it, a meaningful mission going forward. And if you don't have that that meaningful mission or that purpose, that thing that keeps you going, you know, it's it's uncomfortable. We feel lost. We don't have that you know, a lot of us bitch about having responsibilities. We have responsibilities with our work, with our families and this and that. And, you know, we might gripe about having them day in and day out, but I promise you, you know, like what Jordan Peterson says, you know, show me a man who's never had any responsibility. I'll show you a man who's lost. And so without those things, we are fucking lost. And so we have to have those and and, and we've got to have that mission to keep us going. And, you know, and if you can have that great mission, that's, you know, where you're helping other people, and at the same time, you're getting something out, out of it yourself, too. There's nothing wrong with wanting to get something out of it yourself as well. I mean, yeah. it doesn't have to be 100% truly altruistic. But, you know, that you, if you find that sweet spot where you're helping somebody else out and, you know, it's benefiting you, too, you're golden. Look, I I like to to use giving as, as a, a good example. When you give, like, a present for Christmas or you do something really nice for somebody you care about, why do we do it? mainly because of how it makes us feel. It makes us feel amazing to be able to do this for someone that we care about, right? Being able to give and do for for others and and continuing to create, it it is, the byproduct is so powerful, man. Like I, I call it a North Star because I believe that direction trumps destination. We get we're destination oriented people, right? We, we, we want it, but the problem, and it's not, it's not, that we can't stop along the way and enjoy the the journey, right? You got to enjoy, but the values found in the journey, that's mm-hmm. the thing. So if you can, if you can focus that there is, like you said, no, no finish line, right? We're just, we're moving towards our North star. It's so far away. I won't reach it ever anyway. So I'm just going to keep going. I'm enjoying the, the, the sites and I'm enjoying the experiences and I'm helping people along the way, man, you can be happy. Right. But Absolutely. if you're focused on that one place, that one thing, it either never comes or you get there and if you get burned out from being there and you're like, oh, I'm miserable now. Right. Like it becomes yeah. eh, stale. Right. The there is never what we expect it to be. You know, no. and I actually just made a post on this a couple of days ago because people will say, you know, if I could just get to this spot, that would be it. If I can get that car, get that boat, get that house, get that position, that would be it. There is no it. And, oh. you know, people get there and they're like, you know, they, they think that they're going to be enough with it. And then they get there and it's like, no, it's it's still not enough because you're chasing these outcomes and these outcomes. Sometimes they're going to be there. Sometimes they're not. But that's not what's going to bring you happiness. I mean, it, it's it's great to pursue them. It's great to be as Ed Milet says, blissfully dissatisfied. Yeah. But, you know, your true happiness is going to come what you're doing day to day. Like you said, the direction rather than the um than, than the outcome or the destination yeah. and it's it's having that intentionality and you know another great point is that you know i've always heard is you know base your self-worth on your intentions rather than your outcomes because with the outcomes you're always going to be chasing the outcomes will be there sometimes sometimes they won't but right. if you're basing it on your intentions if your intentions are always pure and you're going through your day in an intentional manner you know with your heart in the right place then you can't lose and that's what we need to base our value on yeah, well, expectation fuels a lot of disappointment, right? And so if you're always basing everything on the outcome, then you're always on this expectation uh, level, right? And it's okay to expect a lot from yourself, but not from anything externally from yourself, right? Like mm-hmm. things like you said that you can't control, that you may or may not please that person. We don't know, right? Your your words may do something or they may not, right? Mm-hmm. So like you said, intentionality is, is I'm big on, on being intentional with, with what you do and what you say. And, you know, I, I think that we, it's funny that you, you, or we kind of moved on this because I see so many people that don't do what they love, right. Based on 
the fact that they have to have a certain outcome, right? Well, if I get this job, it pays X amount of money more and I'll be happy. Then they get there and they're not happy or they get, or the people that, that bitch about what they, where they work, they get fired. They don't go pursue what they want to do, right? The things that they, they go find a job exactly the same mm-hmm. as the one that just fired them. And then they go sit in that, that, that anger, that frustration. And so, it's you know, safe. it's familiar. It's right. You know, it, it's content. And, you know, I think so many people, they, they erroneously think that content and happy are the same thing and they're not. You know, content just means you're comfortable and you're keeping the status quo and you're just keeping that equilibrium, but it's not happy. It's two very different things. Do you watch the UFC? Um, Not, not really too much. I mean, I'm a little bit familiar, but not, not too much. There's a a guy named Adesani. He just won the belt. He, so, and you know, whether people like him or hate him doesn't really matter. What he said after he fought was extremely, awakening right and he he wins after he had lost the belt and then he fights again the same guy and he finally wins right Mm -hmm. and he grabs the mic and says i hope that everyone can feel the happiness that i'm feeling right now at least once in their life and the the thing is is that that happiness didn't come from doing something easy right that happiness came from grinding day in and day out and pushing away all the negative voices, all the haters, all this, all that. You can't win. You, you're washed up. You're this, you're that. Going right. A lot of dark days and a lot of valleys. Right. But every single day you stay intentional, you stay consistent, right? Towards the goal, towards the, the North Star that you're going towards, right? And in accomplishing the hard thing is where that joy you feel that happiness and that joy and you're like, Oh my God, when you did the, the Ironmans, I'm sure when you finished, Oh yeah. You it, there, there's a, a level of joy and happiness like no other. Right. And it can't oh, yeah. be replicated by doing something comfortable or something. Right. I hate to say it's, I don't mean to say this kind of thing, but like substandard, like something that, that just doesn't take as much effort, right? Sure. You do the more you invest, the more it feel, the better it feels right. when you get to the end. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And that's what people are missing. That that's that's the but there's a lot of money made in keeping people comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and that's a problem mm-hmm. in and of itself. Oh, you just opened up another whole idea. Yeah. And that's that's the hero's journey. And you know, I, I do a lot of work with men, and like you said, a lot of money can help keep you comfortable. And, and that, that's a problem that, you know, a lot of men don't have right now or that they have is they, men used to have to go on a hero's journey. They used to have to go out and they had to hunt their food. They had to do hard yeah. shit. They had to go yeah. and build a house with their bare hands and protect the family and face violence and face all these things and all the tough stuff that's, that's physically grueling and challenging. And, and nowadays, I mean, you know, you know, to screw in a light bulb, someone can just swipe a credit card, pay a little extra money and someone can do it for me, you know? Right. People don't have to struggle. They don't have to go on that hero's journey, which at the end of it, when you do finally get, you know, reach it, that's, that's where you have that confidence, you know, because you did something. Confidence comes from memory of past successes and you can restructure your thinking all you want and you can have all the affirmations that you want and you can manifest all the fuck you want. But until the end, until you do something, you know, until you've done something, you're not going to have confidence. And so going on the hero's journey, like you said, and going on the hero's journey of like the UFC fighter and putting in all that time or, you know, when you, you know, train for an Ironman for several months and then you, you go through and you do 140.6, like self-propelled miles that day, right. you know, all in the same day and you, you get that finish line, you know, that's, that's where the confidence comes from. That's, that, that, that's really where it's at. Well, the fight's in the mind, right? And, you know, like you said about doing the hundred and some odd miles, right? In, in one day, there's a mental fight there. Like no one's going to say, you have to take the next step. No, right. You can quit right now. And most people would high five you and be like, you did a great job. Right. Uh, so that, that fight is between you and yourself, right. Internally in, in, in that mind. Right. And that's like you said, where that, that warrior mentality is formed. That's where that, that resilience is really formed. Like, no, this is what I'm doing. Right. Uh, 
I could have listened to the doctors. You you could have listened to the doctors with, with your with your kid, right? Like, oh, you know, 40% chance, nah, right? Yeah. But you don't. You say and our no. mind goes that way sometimes. I mean, the thought crosses our mind to listen to them or our, oh, of our mind, but you know, we, we have those initial thoughts, you know, like, oh, maybe they're right, but then you know, it's not the thoughts that get us into trouble. We can choose which thought we want to go with and roll with. But what if they're not? Right. And and so like that, that's look, I would rather die doing doing it the way I felt was right than listening to everybody else and not not feeling like I had a say in the choice that I was making. Right. Um, if I'm wrong, let let me let me die wrong, but let it be on my own my own yeah. terms. I'd rather die wrong than with regret. Right. Right. And, wondering, you know, could have, would have, should have, you know, was there more I could have done? No, that's, I've learned, that's, that's I've learned more interview. from my wrong decisions than I've, I've learned from my right ones. Right. And that's, that's the other thing that people don't, no one wants to go through the, the journey, right. That, that course correction, you know, they say that a rocket doesn't go straight to the moon, right. Or straight into, into its target. Right. It, it has to go left and right and course correct all the way up to its target. Uh, you need that course correction in your life. But if you're not willing to to take the journey, right, and make the decision, like I'm taking off, this is where I'm going and I'm going to figure it out, right? Uh, I'm not saying don't have a mentor and I'm not saying don't listen to wisdom. But what I am saying is ultimately you have to be man or woman enough to make the decision for yourself, and learn from whether that's right or wrong or whatever. And you're just going to become a better version of you along the way. Mm -hmm. That's it. You know, hundred percent. Whew, man, you're covering some ground here today. Talk about your own accidents. Talk about your yeah. own recovery. I mean, we talked about everything you did for your kids and it's, yeah. it's phenomenal what you were able to do. Talk about your own fight with us. Yeah. So the first one was in 2018. I'm on my motorcycle and I'm making a left turn. My light is, is green. Everything's good. As I'm making the left, I'm like in the middle of the intersection. I'm, I'm about to hit the interstate. So I'm actually looking into the turn into the interstate. This 18 year old kid probably on like Pokemon go or talking to his girlfriend is on his phone. He's not even paying attention. His light turns red at 45 miles an hour. He blows through the, the, the light and blows through me. Right. And most people thought that I wasn't going to make it. And I did. Right. Like, and what's crazy is I, I had a really bad, like three week concussion. Like I couldn't get in a car without puking. Uh, so going to all my medical visits were really bad. Right. Like, and I had a, a piece of the motorcycle or his car. I'm not, we're still not sure. Go through my calf. Uh, and then oh. I had some road rash, but no broken bones. Right. What? Uh, yeah. No broken bones. Uh, like I said, really bad concussion. Like, cause like I, I passed out like two times. Like I remember waking, I remember him hitting me and all the air leaving. Right. And then I remember waking up and I was in, in the middle of the road and there was a guardrail behind me. I just remember, I, I think it's the military, just get off the X, right? Get out of the danger zone. So I scooted myself into the guardrail, which was like right behind me. It wasn't too far. And then I passed out again. And then I woke up like in the ambulance as they were cutting my, my, uh, my pants off. So I have this mental fight and I had some injury like that didn't help me because I was already really banged up from from my military uh time in in you know so I but I wasn't doing bad compared to most people that get hit by a car at 45 miles an hour right and but I was still really scared I had like a lot of fear going through my mind and uh I didn't understand why bad things just followed me right like at one point in my life I really felt cursed and I had some PTSD uh, issues going on with me. And I don't think the head trauma helped me. Uh, I ended up actually trying to commit suicide uh, and put a gun to my head and everything. My dog licked me and wouldn't stop and jumped on me, basically. And that's what saved my life. No kidding. Yeah, he wouldn't stop licking me. And then my wife followed uh, not too long after that. And she's like, what the hell is going on? Right. <laughs> you know, the oh gun, gosh. you know, basically right beside me. So had you to know, kind of, they're so intuitive. 
man, I'm telling you. But two years, uh, just shy of two years later, I decided to get back on a motorcycle. I'm like, I'm going to face this. I'm going to get past it. And so this time I'm with five other people. I feel like I'm safe, right? We're all on Harley Davidson's. Like anybody ever heard of uh, Harley? They're loud, man. Five of them. Come on, man. No, so, that. right. So we're rolling down I-95 and the, we're in the far left lane. They're expanding I-95. So there's a Jersey barrier to my left and I'm in front of the pack. And this minivan, uh, his lane was slowing down. He didn't want to slow down. All right. So instead of him looking into his rear view, he just swerved uh, into the lane. Right. And at 65 miles an hour, he hit me because like I came over. They like I don't remember a lot of it. Um, they say that I came over to the white line, like as close to the Jersey barriers I could get. But I had nowhere else to go. And then the, he just hit me. And he, they say he hit me so hard. They actually sent me pictures. My motorcycle never fell back down. It went into the Jersey barrier and was like ingrained into it. Like they had to like pry it out of the Jersey barrier. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, I went flying into this construction zone. Three or four of the guys that was with me were military. So they applied first aid. They they were pretty comfortable with the situation. And they had me stabilized when the ambulance got me and they took me to the first hospital on the way I flatlined and they revived me and they realized we can't help you here. This is not a trauma center and your injuries are really bad. So then they medevac me to VCU in Richmond, Virginia. And um, when they medevac me there, they do an emergency surgery, which shows them that there's way more injuries than what the MRI showed. So they had to do a follow-up second surgery. So they closed me up. And as I'm waiting for that second surgery, um, you know how they kind of have, they check your vitals right before you go into the surgery room, like one last time. So they're talking to me. I think I'm talking to them like I'm talking to you. I am not. I'm blah, 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 blah. They think I'm stroking out. Uh, Everything got hot. And then I flatlined again. Oh, my gosh. And so they... You know, make a long story short, I ended up having an outer body experience. Like I saw the doctor, I saw the two nurses holding my naked body up and putting IVs in both my arms. Like I could see it all. And um, I remember talking to the doctor. Of course, the doctor doesn't recall me ever talking to but in in that, like I remember saying something to him, right? Like about saving me from my kids or something like that. And I wake up in the ICU room and I was in the ICU for seven days, uh, 14 days in the hospital altogether. And you you probably know seven days in, a, in an ICU room is a kind of a long time. Sure. Uh, mo- most most people are not in a an ICU room that long, uh, depending on the situation. And, you know, I, like it was the best thing that could have happened to me. It was 2020. This is what probably changed my entire life. Right. I was a wreck up into this wreck anyway, but um, I, I, I emotionally checked out, right? Like I was drinking every day. I fifth of whiskey, no problem. I wasn't there for my wife. I wasn't there for my kids. I was there, but I was not there. Right. I was in my head a lot. And like, as soon as this, wreck happens and i'm in this icu room no one can visit me my phone was destroyed on the bike so i have nothing right i have the occasional doctors that come in but i'm in the in time like stop like they're alone with your thoughts and nothing else yeah no alcohol no nothing to numb what i what what my life has been like and i face the man in the mirror right like in that seven days i i went toe-to-toe with me and I came out just a completely different person. By the time I get home 14 days later, I'm I'm no I'm I'm completely, completely altered. I was already different when they moved me to the main room. But by the time I finally get to my house, I'm I'm so different. But I had a long fight. They said I wouldn't walk for 18 months. And even then, I would probably have to use assistance 
to to walk. And so I started this fight of trying to to relearn everything. Right. Um, if I, I could I, interrupt you for a second, when so when during that seven days you're in the ICU, what what was the epiphany you had? Like what like what what was the aha moment for you? Like like how did it all click? Talk talk to me more about like. What um, you- I think you realize. Yeah, I I think what it was for me, honestly, was like I had this this wake up call that I lived right. Like again, right again. I've been through a lot in my life, and somehow I just keep making it to the other side. And this time was different. It was just like I'm here for a reason. Like I have it. Like clicked. Everything clicked. It was like. Everything that I face, like it. All right. If I hadn't have went through what I went through as a child, I probably wouldn't have been strong enough to deal with my daughter. I probably would not have been strong enough to help my son talk after seven years of being nonverbal. I probably wouldn't have been strong enough to deal with the meltdowns that my other son was having and teach him how to, you know, take in everything that he was getting. And I certainly, uh, was now prepared because of those things I am now prepared for this. Right. And it, it all just made sense. Like it, that everything that we go through is preparing us for that next moment. Right. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Even if we, it feels bad. Sometimes it's not a lot. Most of the time it's not. Things are happening for you when you don't realize it. Right. And, and it all kind of made sense to me in that moment that everything was for for me like you just said it was it was for my benefit and if i hadn't have i would have been gone a long time ago i would have failed a long time ago and my family would be not even close to where they are a long time you know right from the beginning they wouldn't they wouldn't be where they are and so uh it made sense and it gave me uh just this renewed like fire about life like i i was excited to get out and, and to be a better version of me because now I had some purpose and, and I realized that this would be another, you know, thing for me to be able to help people uh, in their own life. Right. Like if I, and that, and that's what I did. I actually gave myself an ultimatum that uh, because they told me 18 months while I was in the hospital. And so I said, if I can beat that time, if I can, will myself to do another, you know, big thing within my own life, then there's no excuse for anybody else that I help that they can't do big things in their own life, no matter what they're facing. So I kind of used as leverage and as a means to uh, help somebody else, right? Like this is all for for somebody else. Let it qualify you to help others. Yeah. Let's, let's talk more about that now. Talk about what you, you and your wife are, are doing some coaching together, correct? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're about to launch a, uh, a coaching business called Bulletproof Marriages. And Love it. We, yeah, we, uh, we have a whole course that, you know, you, you'll be able to go through, but we've been together for 24 years altogether. 19 of those have been married and we've seen it all, man. And we've seen a lot of bullets. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And, and we wanted to call it quits. I mean, like I said, when my daughter had her stroke, we were not like, you know, hunky dory, Mm -hmm. everything's happening. Everybody has the thought of quitting when things get bad, regardless of whether, but it's, you know, it's being able to override those thoughts. I mean, we have the thoughts of quitting. We have the thoughts of giving up. We have the thoughts of not doing what we're supposed to do when we're supposed to go work out and we have the thoughts of blowing it off or, I mean, I, I think we all have those thoughts, but, you know, I think, you know, it takes a lot of willpower. It takes an incredible amount of self-discipline to keep going forward and nice. to, you know, and you just to be able to, as they say, you know, let your goals be bigger than your excuses. I mean, right? gosh, I mean, anybody's listening. I mean, if anybody could have had a gazillion different excuses, it's Chad and his wife for whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they could have easily used those and probably nobody would have thought differently about it, but you guys would have known and that wouldn't have sat well with either one of you. You know, love, love is a decision and you have to, you have to re certify that decision um, almost daily. Right. Because things come, like you said, things are going to come, things, things are going to come reasons, right. 
one one reason is just as good as the other, right? Leaving yep. is leaving. Divorce is divorce. Um, yep. But that's not why you sign up to get married. You know, you sign up to go through it together, right? To have somebody to do it with. And yep. so um, we're hoping to be able to help a whole bunch of couples. Uh, so that way they can have that. They can create a lasting marriage. They can learn how to be solution oriented and and just figure it out that's one of our our biggest things is being solution oriented because that's how you're gonna get through life man so 100 yes, well th this has been an amazing talk today chad and uh i i think you you've really given everybody an amazing perspective and and like i said if uh if any if any of you out there think that you know there's an excuse not to move forward uh and it's it's easy to feel hopeless in a lot of situations. I mean, you, you guys could have felt hopeless and given up a million times over and you haven't. And so I, mean, I think it's a testament to each of your mindsets. I think it's a testament to the bond that you have together to push each other through. And, you know, the work that you do on your marriage together, like you said, it's it's something that you ha constantly have to reaffirm. I think it's, you know, just like they say, you know, success is owned, it's rented. And, you know, yeah. there, it's, you know, the rent is due daily. And, you know, marital success is that too. It's, yes. you know, yes, it's, it's uh, work. you know, the, the rent is due every single day and it's, it's rented and it's, you know, you can't just rest on laurels. It's, it's gotta be a constant, uh, you know, no, no matter how good you think your marriage is, no matter, you know, how great you think things are and no matter how many great positive transactions you have, it, it only takes one or two negative ones to really throw things off kilter. So it's, you know, it, it's something that we have to be wary of and, do the work with each day and, you know, not, uh, not get complacent with. And so, you know, the fact that you two have been able to do that and, um, you know, do what you've been able to do in, in, you know, despite of what you've been doing for others, for your children and everything else, it's, it's really remarkable. And I, I think it's a, it's a good model for everybody else going forward. Um, how can everybody find you guys? Yeah. So, um, my bulletproof marriages.com is our website. Um, and then Facebook is just, uh, right now it's just chatter singer we're creating some facebook groups so if you follow me uh you can stay in tune with that and then my wife's name is Linnell osinga so just go on my page or go on her page and you can follow us and when the the uh, facebook group drops then we can add whoever wants to be in it um but right now that the, that's the the two best ways to you know get a hold of us so well that's terrific well Given that there's still uh, probably 45 to 50 percent of marriages ending in divorce, uh, there's there's a lot of people out there that can uh, benefit from from what you're offering and uh, you know from the counsel that you guys are providing. So um, yeah, I look forward to seeing how this uh, materializes for you guys. So uh, any closing words for the audience, Chad? Any 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 parting message for them? Uh, any nugget you'd like for them to take away from this that we haven't talked about already? Yeah, well, I'll say this. You're the problem and you're the solution, right? Everything that you need is within you. So, you know, I know that sounds cliche, but if you look on the inside, like the key to all of our success has been mindset. And you, you know, John has, has kind of mentioned that, right, several times throughout this interview, right, is mindset. And when you have the right mindset and when you know that you have the resources already on the inside of you, when you're the answer, right, you are the answer to whatever you're facing, then life not necessarily gets easier, but it becomes negotiable, right? Mm -hmm. And and you can find the best decision for that moment and find success ultimately. So uh, I'm really thankful for being able to sit down with you, man. It was an honor. Uh, it was an honor having you here. And I, I love what you had to say just now, because uh, yeah, every, every you have everything you need already. There's no perfect time you know, help isn't on the way and there's, you know, have, can't wait for some, you know, perfect help to come or a perfect time. It's, you got what you need right, right now to, uh, to do whatever it is that you want to do. And uh, you're equipped with it. You might have to dig a little bit to find you. You might have to go on a journey yeah. to bring it out, but it's there for you. Yes, sir. So, uh, well, I can't thank you enough for being on here today. Yeah. Uh, Everybody, if uh, you got something out of this, if you took away some great nuggets from this, um, please go online and uh, leave us a five-star review on uh, Spotify and on Apple and please share the show. And I want you to go out there. I want you to go make somebody else's day better, their week, their month, their year, 
If you're feeling lack of love in your life, uh, go do something for somebody else. I promise you that's going to be the quickest way to feel that. So everybody get out there, be safe, and uh, we'll see you next time. Peace.